0: Welcome Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Oh, hey, hey. Duncan. There. And Jeff. Yellow. I have gone straight from vasectomy recovery to allergy recovery, so I will hopefully be talking less in this podcast. We are going to be talking about uh, the end of the summer anime season, but before that, in honor of the new series, Tatami Time Machine Blues, we are talking about the original amazing tatami galaxy tatami galaxy is a 2010 anime directed by masaki wasa based on a novel written by Tomihiko morimi uh, it stars a young man going to college for the first two years and really hoping to have a good time but instead <laughs> instead he learns some lessons about life Andy, why did you pick this pod, this podcast topic um, beyond it just being, you know, seasonally appropriate?
1: I'm, I mean, I think it was mostly Time Machine Blues was coming out. And as you will know, my favorite anime of 2010 was this one. I, I absolutely adore this anime. And on this subsequent rewatch, I still really love it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Full confession, I finished it five minutes before recording. Uh, <laughs> I blasted it through all of today and uh, no regrets were had. It is an absolute delight.
0: Um, That's funny because I don't think of it as a very bingeable anime since it has a a time loop going on. And I mean, for listeners that think that they're in time loop, yes, we did talk about this when Van Pogham was on our show previously, but now it's everybody talking about this anime.
1: (laughs) But it's also fun because it it doesn't just do time loops, but it also does multiverses. In many ways, it's kind of like very forward thinking for its time when it came out, like you know we we've, we've got everything's a fucking multiverse now and it makes <laughs> and it's one of the few things that actually shows a multiverse that's interesting
0: it's the um, watashi cinematic universe <laughs> <laughs> does that mean it crosses over with humanity has declined or is that a different watashi it <laughs> well be yeah i put off this for so long because i just don't usually vibe with Yuasa, mm-hmm. um, but then after watching Isaken and enjoying The Night is Short Walk On Girl, which is kind of a side story movie uh, that was made after this based on another novel by the same author, I'm really impressed by that. I think watching this self-righteous idiot character who's compulsively over analyzing and over-intellectualizing every single choice he makes while constantly blocking his own shot every time anybody, like, is like, hey, why don't you give that girl back her, like, little plushie that she, that she lost? Uh, watching him completely block his own shot over and over again, it, it, it feels real. It feels like um, childhood from an adult perspective and not in a patronizing way, just in, mm-hmm. a, like, uh, an incurable fool, as as he's called several times over the course of the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. learning, watching him learn how to, to navigate, like, an adult life a morally comprehensible life <laughs> yeah
2: I, I think mm-hmm.
0: the, the first time
2: I watched this show I, I, I kind of th- thought it was about being a student but like the, <laughs> I, I think a lot of what the show actually ends up being about is is as you say it's about becoming an adult and like you, you sort of get that shift as he eventually does as, as the show goes <laughs> on uh, it, it does take a lot to get through to him but um, mm-hmm. and the but he has a lot of words in his head because I think <laughs> the one thing I, I noticed uh, coming back to this is I had forgot how incredibly dense this show is. Like, yeah. words per minute, just proper stream of consciousness stuff being thrown at
0: you from minute one. Yeah. And I was another reason I was waved off this show initially is people are like, oh, yeah, he just talks really fast and everything happens on screen really fast. I think this is actually what Andy told me. And mm-hmm. I was like, I can barely handle Siren Zetspa say I can't handle a show. Where he's constantly talking, but most of it is is nonsense. His his <laughs> like compu- his compulsive pseudo intellectualized justifications for every stupid decision he makes. Um, and then whenever he meets the fortune teller, and she just gives him the shallowest compliment, and he's always like, "This person <laughs> has insight." Clearly, yeah. uh, it really. Yeah, it really lets the air out of his uh, out of like, you don't have to pay attention to everything. So I told my girlfriend when she watched a few episodes, like he's he's an idiot, uh, yeah. he's but a, he doesn't
1: know it. He's a he's a self-intellectualized idiot who believes uh, uh, who believes, you know, I also feel a lot of it is, I mean, obviously, a, a large bit is about regret as well. And, yeah. um, you know, trying to find this rosy colored uh, university life when in reality, he's not going to find that whilst he's living it. You only get that when you're looking back on it and being like, oh, that was quite good. That was quite Mm -hmm. good too. First thing I really liked about re-watching it, I noticed that Ozu especially is, I think, pretty much the best character in there. And (laughs) as much as it's a relationship between the main character, Watashi and Akashi, sort of getting together, it is also a lot about uh, Watashi's relationship with Ozu and then his eventual, at the very end, like, realisation that it is his best friend and that, like, this black... His only friend. His only yeah. <laughs> And this black thread of fate, as he so, like, he so negatively calls it in the first episode, throwing him down the, uh, the Japanese sea river trench or whatever it was, is then, like, <laughs> the thing that holds him on and gets him through his... The surreal, like, entrapment that he has in his room and then he's like holding on and he's like why are you so interested in me we've only just met and we're like we're the it's the black like the black thread of fate has brought us together and Mm. will never let us part i thought it was really beautiful and then on top of that it was the one of two moments where you don't see ozu in this demonic face like his eyes are like they're they're i I love the way that they're drawn that they're like 45 degrees they're like demonic and he's got a big (laughs) mouth with like Fangs and you only see it from my recollection two times his normal face. Once at the very end, when Watashi sort of like realized his actual friendship and like acceptance of who he is. And then secondly, there's a second there's a shot without Watashi. And it is specifically just Ozu and then someone else talking to him. Is it his girlfriend, whoever her name is? Kenishita no, I think I think it's Jogasaki, the um The boob man, and uh, it—you just—he turns around. It's really subtle; you don't notice it, but he just has like a normal face. And I was just like little things like that. I was like, okay, there's some real, like, clever stuff going on in this anime.
0: A lot of what I like about this this show is that it reminds me of myself in high school and early college, where I was very pompous, very self-involved, very invested in the fact that I was the only person with a really clear outside-the-box appreciation of what was going on. And I think that it's worth it to have this show where he joins these different clubs trying to find the correct decision that gives him everything he wants right away. That this Mm -hmm. is, like, as you said, Duncan, a show about putting away childish things. And what is more childish than just, like, reasonless (laughs) self-regard? The fact that he thinks so highly of himself um, that he has three women... (laughs) <laughs> mutatis mutandis has three women who want to sleep with him and he just he he will both denigrate himself as not being a renaissance man who could court three women even though that's what he's done up to this point but at the same time every single romance c- goes nowhere and his high-minded ideals are meaningless and it's about letting go of this this childish habit of of valuing your own perspective over everyone ever over everyone else's and denigrating people around you and thinking so poorly of ozu when it honestly seems like honestly ozu is a few steps up this like pseudo buddhist enlightenment uh of Mm -hmm. the Mm episode of the the episodes because like he has a girlfriend he's in all these clubs and yeah he like teases his best friend a little bit but uh (laughs) but he's like he's living the life that that uh that the main character who as we've called him watashi is just the first person pronoun uh he, he's living the life that that uh, that our protagonist wants, and our protagonist is so busy, like, just...
1: Ins- <laughs> being insular, like, only thinking A about A one-man himself. circle jerk
0: of his own morals, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just... He just can't recognize what's in front of his face just as much as he can't recognize that, like, Akashi's like, hey, I'm looking for my lost little stuffed animal. Also, we should go get ramen sometime. And he's like, oh, no, that's interesting. Anyway... <laughs> I'm looking for my raven-haired beauty. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I I really enjoyed the time loop aspect of it because, he, the like the, you know the first nine episodes of the show, Watashi is convinced that the result of his life is a bad people making his life bad, and B <laughs> some key mistake that he made in the past, and it's fascinating to see like as the uh, the the series progresses that the same events are happening in the background, regardless of which uh, mm-hmm. club he yeah. chooses. Yeah. And, you know, if he chose, if he ha- you know, when he chooses the film club, he's there for when Jogasaki gets like outed. If he chooses the baseball team, he's present for when Ozu steals the airship. But all those things still happen regardless of what he does. But he's, you know, his vision of the future is just strangers adulating him and his, idea of you know what you know his you know what gets him there is some choice that he makes while you know anytime that he's presented with the opportunity to interact with somebody else or to interact with the world he rejects it or he overanalyzes it or he you know he runs away and it's not until he realizes that like oh it's not actually about me it's about everybody else <laughs> and that that is the key insight that ozu has where you know he's not you know you know, socially or intellectually any, you know, superior to Watashi in any way. But he knows that, oh, if I just like, you know, be interested in other people and, you know, support them and, you know, be there for them, then I will be loved by them and I will have a better life. And that's eventually the the lesson that Watashi, you know, learns, you know, even, you know, he has to go through this sort of like self-imposed hell for a couple of episodes to reach that conclusion. But he eventually gets there.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting that exactly what you said about how Ozu knows how to like be well liked by people. He tells that to 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 the protagonist at one point. He's like, "Why would how, how is someone like you so well regarded?" And he's like, "Clear thinking, un, unimpeachable character, <laughs> a lot of love for people. This is how this is how you become loved by others." And pr- the protagonist, even though. Ozu is more successful than him socially and personally. And even though he envies the success Ozu has taken, he, he can't, he just, he can't see it. And he has to literally be trapped in an endless dungeon, showing him that like his circumstances are immaterial. He's in this tatami room, no matter what, no matter what, what circumstances he sets, he set himself up for. He's still living in this tiny room. He buys most of the same books. He always leaves a, a thousand yen in his wallet for him to find later. He always gets this Castella. He always has the little stuffed animal hanging from his light chain. Like like the choices you make, how you react to your circumstances are what matters, not the circumstances themselves. And when he traps himself there, it's because he's asking who else is to blame for my circumstances Mm -hmm. that have prevented me from making the choices I want to make. And yeah, that's when the show like really took off for me the first time. It's just like, okay, now that we've just shown nine different ways that this person's, like, first two years of college could go. Like, how, how does he understand, like, what were the meaningful things that happened in his life? And the answer for, for like, an episode and a half is he doesn't. And in, until he's literally <laughs> trapped there for, for months, mm-hmm. growing a beard and eating fish cakes and, and Costella.
3: Yeah, ironically, but... food that he only has explicitly because Ozu gave it to him either as a joke or as an apology you know the you even in this like world that is created you know this is is, you know this is the world if it is literally just you you know this is what happens if it's it's as self-centered as he is yeah yeah. and and even then he only survives because of the kindness of ozu his greatest nemesis (laughs) by his own understanding
2: i think i enjoyed ozu more this time like have being familiar with the the main route, as it were, it means you can sort of afford to to look at what's going on in the background, mm. uh, like mm. uh, both in just a case of not having to read the subs at uh, like a hundred miles per <laughs> hour, and just Yura's animation is so anarchistic at times. Like paying attention to everything that's going on is pretty difficult, and so after a while you sort of learn. Okay, if it's not repeated, it probably wasn't important. And...
1: <laughs> I disagree. I think I think if it wasn't repeated, then it was important. Because then that's the that's the different the slight variations in life that he got throughout each episode.
0: I do think it functions similarly to I think I mentioned like Utuna and other Ikuhara stuff of like I think this show would be exhausting if we had to completely digest like a new set of circumstances every episode, but instead we have the formulaic stuff. His run down the campus Boulevard to get a flyer is always the same. Mm -hmm. His fantasy, despite the like, whatever props someone is holding is always the same of this beautiful raven hair beauty who never has a face ever. Even when it turns out Ozu's dating her, uh, in one of the timelines, like she still doesn't have a face. She doesn't, it's, it's a depersonalized dehumanized version of a, (laughs) of an ideal romantic partner. Um, but it does let you like sink into the rhythm of the episodes because there is stuff that's repeated that you can kind of skim over um, and see if there's a lesson. And I, for the first like half of the show, there is no lesson hidden under these like very formulaic, formalistic details uh, of his freshman <laughs> and sophomore year. <laughs> but there are,
1: there are slight differences in the uh, in, in that though. Like even though he does repeat that walk like every single episode. It does actually start getting faster by the end. It's like purposefully sped up and you can hear the voices.
0: It's really interesting that like, this is a show about like letting other people in that has this tiny, like a relatively tiny cast of characters. It's like, a dozen people half a dozen people matter in, in this world and everyone else is just un, it's just interchangeable mm. um, it kind of puts me in the mind of Yamato shiji Shichihenge or the Wallflower like they just literally have just like outlines of people for anybody who's not <laughs> a main speaking role and here like like Ozu um, Hanaki, the, the dental hygienist uh, Sitaro Higuchi Jogusaki uh, Kaori maybe Ajima like these are like no one else really matters and these characters are kind of recombined into like weirdly echoing stories of each other that I don't know it's I do think it's interesting that to have such a not only have such a repetitive structure but to have such a small cast and it, and part of it is because yeah when we look outside the protagonist the same things are happening in every time loop because mm. no one else is is crippled by this inability to make his like will felt on the universe Um, it's just the protagonist remixing his his life experiences over and over until he just lives in a soup of his own remixed dreams, all of which are stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, well, how about we talk about those characters? Are there any other side characters that you like? How do people feel about Johnny? I think his art doesn't hold up most out of anything in the show. He doesn't <laughs> have an arc. He's just a person. Art. I meant art. Uh, okay. I actually prefer
1: Johnny's art to the Night is Short walk-on girl. I liked the kind of crappy, like, uh, sort of early flash animation tweening of Johnny. <laughs> uh, I thought it worked it, it, it worked in a simplistic way to just how simplistic Johnny is in his emotions. I also found him less annoying than I initially remember him really? to be. And I also found, because I found him really annoying in Life Night is Short. <laughs> I thought that was like the worst bit when the Johnnies came in. Um, yeah I agree. And uh I actually found his on the rewatch I actually quite was quite enjoyed him being there. Um I thought he was I thought he yeah. was a fun character, more fun than I
0: remember. Well yeah, as as the embodiment of the protagonist's libido, there's always kind of something fraught there, uh but eventually by the end of the show he's just on a hamster wheel as a yeah. metaphor for masturbation. <laughs> um, but but otherwise, like the utter unwillingness of the protagonist to like admit that he has any desire besides his overintellectualized dream of a perfect college life. I think you you do have to have the libido, being like, there's a girl right here, mm-hmm. and yeah, she's gonna lick your face a lot, but also you're gonna actually get the human contact that you claim this whole this whole high flown dream exists for, which is to like to meet somebody mm-hmm. and to fall for them and to feel close to them i really enjoyed episode six
2: which is the is the uh, english conversation society which is is where Hanukkah he sort of gets her 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 big episode because where she's just like so fun to listen to and like he knows that and and we know that and i think the the interesting thing is like he knows um that the thing he admires about her is is that she can like honestly talk about how she feels and her her wants and her frustrations with her, her, his her life, and he he sort of like is inspired by that, and yet when he he does his own little talk, he he mimics her style, but he talks about someone else. He talks about Ozu. He still can't quite bring it bring it around to actually think and look at himself and go, and it's that 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 constant refrain of like who's to be held responsible, and it's it's always anyone but him and I, yeah. I i i don't know like it was such a nearly moment it's like he 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 clearly in his friends is, is finding part of the the things he needs to go to a place a, be- a better place where he can actually find a kind of happiness which isn't based on how he sees himself in terms of Um, like anyone else's opinion, just of uh, self-realized happiness, as trite as that sounds.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I don't... I I was going to say my favorite episode was probably the Secret Society Lucky Cat Chinese restaurant. (laughs) I really loved it when you see sort of like um, these sort of like weird uh, side characters that are are always in the show as like backgrounds, especially Ajima. uh, Like, and then they all kind of make a uh like a connective thread. I also have a feeling that like all that these episodes are really doing, they're just sort of highlighting what Ozu really is and what actually Ozu's doing. I have a I have an ongoing theory and I don't know how deep this is gonna go, but I, I have an ongoing theory that Ozu might actually be Watashi. Um and then Watashi is but that is like Ozu is what Watashi's actual life was like in high school and Watashi is now reviewing that from a third person as a first person that's my theory I'm not gonna
0: I I feel it's gonna be you're not gonna give any evidence <laughs> just <gonna say> it. <laughs> okay. first
2: person the worst person
1: uh yeah I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna delve too far into it um it's out there but I feel that there's a lot of stuff where where you you see a lot of events that happen, and then Watashi experiences them or has experienced them in a way that, like, he understands. Uh, I mean, there's some
2: some evidence for it, maybe. I think, like, the 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 one thing uh, I wondered was uh, there's one episode when he's in a book society and um, he goes t- goes to 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 meet Ozu, who's like acting as a secret dealer of books, um, and he hands him a. Uh, he hands him um, the "Nights Short Walk" on girl, and <laughs> yeah. he and he goes, oh, "This is a uh, a childish book, and uh, it, but it won't change the way your your story works out anyway." And it, it, that made me sort of wonder: Is he kind of the author? He's inescapable and uh, completely uh, in control. And it's only in that that final episode where. They 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 switch where you sort of of where Watashi is is finally telling his own story and so he is the author now and so he gets to terrorize someone else.
1: <laughs> yeah, I also think that there's like the the end one of the last phrases, like one of the last lines, which I think is really beautiful was uh, nothing else is more boring is as boring to tell as a story of successful love, which I feel like again really resonates as to why you don't hear Ozu sort of like his relationship ever until the end when he just gets insanely jealous. And then also makes me think about another phrase uh, which happens, which is when um, Akashi uh, talks about the um, moguchi uh, mochiguman, the white mochiguman, which again, Ben, you said like, it's there in front of him. Everyone is telling you and you know, from like episode one, reach out, grab the mochiguman and like go confess and like, you know, say, like start going out. But there's a line, by the end and i think it's either the 10th or the 11th episode where he asks about like the mochiguman he she realizes the normal conversation like oh i dropped it i've got i i've got 5 but there's one missing and then she says uh he goes oh well help let me help you find it and then she says no don't worry it always comes back to me one way or another which to me read as like no matter what timeline he had chosen Like, all of these timelines, he eventually gets together with Akashi. It's just not shown in the moments that he, like, the parts that he most regrets. The parts that he most regrets are his moments of indecision and self-reflection, self-hate. And I feel that, I thought that was, like, a really beautiful throwaway line that I I really enjoyed. Actually, uh, I take it back, that was the the ninth episode, The Secret Cats, The Lucky Cat, Cat Chinese Ramen. Uh, and it's like things like that, which really make me think like you know maybe this isn't this is not him talking about the bits that the resolution that people want, but the conflict that everybody has, because at the end of the day the resolution is maybe not as interesting as the conflict
3: she also says that in the first episode uh, or is it the first or the second one they're in the uh uh when they're in the film society she asks he, he says like oh I'll help you find it and she's like no 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 don't worry about it uh why don't we go to get something to eat instead and I think it's I think it's mostly just like you know this is a person he's compatible with you know I, w- I don't know if I would go so far as to say like oh this is, this, is, this is like destined love or anything like that it's just that oh he gets along with this person when we find out that she is on the other end of his fake male correspondence you know is you know it's just that you know she likes talking to him she has a good time with it even though ozu had like given up on it and and it's almost entirely him just thinking like oh i need to be the exact right person for this to work and it's like no you just have to like reciprocate like you know it's it's a two-way street it's not you know you don't come into a relationship perfect for the other person you have to react to the relationship
1: Yeah, I agree. The only thing that I was going to have a slight counterpoint is literally the first scene of the whole anime, which is when him and uh, Higuchi is in the Neko Ramen, and then he's like, "I can determine your fate of love. You have two choices. There's like Akashi's either Ozu or you. Uh, Which one do you want?" And I think that actually sets off the whole thing because it is always him, like it is always Higuchi being a matchmaking god trying to get them together
0: but he's also not a matchmaking god he's an eighth year super senior (laughs) (laughs) yeah he he knows akashi and ozu Ozu because they're his disciples and his like weird little cult i think that that oftentimes one of the one of the lesser motifs of this show is is the idea of trying to find science and trying to find predestination and trying to wait for the universe to make the choice for you as opposed to make the choice yourself the fortune teller always said the, the great running gag fortune teller who always flatters him with just like the most bog standard compliment and who always raises her price by a thousand yen every episode, which is so in the, uh, in the, uh, in the three part arc where he joins three clubs at once. And on the last one, she charges 6,000 and then there's a surcharge of, of 2000 later to make it 8,000 choice. But she says she's like, she's like opportunities right in front of you. You need to stop being so stubborn. Yeah. Um, and he is like, that's not, that does not become a prophecy that he follows. He he can't, he can't see it that way because he, he genuinely sees himself as he makes this, this static principled stand and the world will revolve around him. Mm. And in a way it does, once we get to that, you know, the self-centered, uh, infinite row house of his rooms, like he does get a world that completely is just made up of his own tiny little decisions, but before that point, like, when he's forced to explain why he hasn't taken Akashi out for ramen, when she has honestly given stronger signals than a lot of the women I've dated for <laughs> wanting to be taken out for ramen, like, he can't explain it. He's just like, it just never comes up, and I've just never thought of it. And mm. I think the moment maybe has passed me by. He doesn't, he has this sense of, like, of uh, a cosmic timepiece clicking towards a conclusion. and We get that, the giant clock tower that's always rewinding as it makes it further through the the numbering of the episodes but but he never really like i don't know his own his own sense of agency is is this bizarre twisted thing that i think is actually very common for for young teens and early 20 something men to to see of just like they have the morals and the world will react to them and if they just are unchanged by circumstance then that they will get what they want and that's exactly the wrong lesson and everyone tells them that um but he has such a high sense of self-regard for his own like his goofy moral stances where he's like i don't cook um (laughs) (laughs) at one point it's just like oh so you live on fish cakes and (laughs) that's all
1: (laughs) a couple of things i wanted to jump off of that that clock face is actually the kyoto university clock face Mm. and i love the fact that they are like this is like the fact that we haven't, I guess we haven't really bought into talk about this much, but it is set in Kyoto, much like The Night Short Walk on Girl. And I love that it is set in Kyoto. You feel like you are living or like you are experiencing a Kyoto lifestyle, and it's beautiful. From when you jump to like the like the modern world, like the modern side of things, when you get like these really beautiful modern houses, to when you jump to like the dilapidated size of his like. His house and then even when you go to like the small things when he jumps into a sento and then it cuts to like a very traditional Japanese like uh yokan sort of like uh row of houses like they're all within Kyoto and they can all be in like immediately identifiable I really love that sort of feeling on top of that I loved the mixed media as well like especially the the last episodes when he they've just like like Taken so many pictures of a 4 be- like a four to tammy house and just like shown like the loot it it had such like a strong feeling that like his in his world the 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 place he's living, this four-room house, which he spends a good ten minutes exploring like a scuba driver, is more real than him. Uh and that really came across strongly throughout that whole episode. And the only time it wasn't real when he was literally breaking through the wall to go to another identical <laughs> room. But I loved yeah. that sort of like small contextual changes that really, like, just really spoke to me on my rewatch.
2: The author's got a, a I love for Kyoto, uh, which shines through in the fact that the other big show in like the keyframes canon uh Oh, at least my canon. Anyway, is is obviously um, the eccentric family, which is another Kyoto set uh, show by the same author, and like, yeah. there's obviously like, there are some places in there he has a, a a fondness for which crop up way too often to be anything than it being a deep personal fondness. Like, it's it's nice to see like someone ha- really having. Like, root scenario is is a cliched way of of doing it, but, like, these locations which are anchored to emotions and events in his past.
1: Like the Camo River. Yeah, I
2: I just love the way he, like, in some ways, in that final, I'm not sure if it's the final or the penultimate episode, where he sort of just finally gets out of the room and just steps out onto the street, and you see him sort of like just walking out of this little... um, Back back alley onto the main main road, just like dishevelled and just sort of looking around and seeing everyone walking around getting ready for the, the fires to be lit for the, the celebration, and just enjoy just be enjoying in being in the crowd and moving through it, and and like yeah, it, part yeah. of that's because he's been trapped in a four point five <laughs> tatami room for an infinite amount of time, but equally there's there's a there's a real like homecoming feel to that that moment.
1: That feeling of him taking that like first breath, like a really deep breath, and just smelling the fresh air, like that—that that is such, uh, like especially again, like this is what like this was done in twenty ten. We've we've experienced the pandemic and like multiple lockdowns. That feeling <laughs> of like taking that breath of fresh air for the first time in ages—you, I—I totally felt that, and I I didn't feel that it didn't resonate as much those episodes until recently. Uh, which I found quite interesting.
3: <laughs> and also when he's walking through the crowd and everybody is like cycling through like mm. dozens of different outfits. And I really got the sense that, you know, he's seeing everybody else also going, you know, who also have their own multiverse of choices in their past. Yeah. But they're all in this one place at this one moment living in the actual moment and not worried about mm you know obsessing about the past or worrying about the future and so you know they're all doing what they would have done in that timeline in that moment because you know that magic of the festival you know taking over them and allowing them to be in that one place regardless of where they had been or where they're going
1: yeah uh yeah i i was also going to mention another thing that you said about how whilst um higuchi is not a god of matchmaking like the the final confrontation when uh, Watashi does give Akashi the, um, the the soft toy, the mochi mochi Like mm-hmm. that was a really great bit because they swapped like clothes, which is a prank, yeah. which would fits in with the proxy proxy war, uh, the great proxy proxy war, which is something that Higuchi would have totally done. So I still think that if he's not a god, he's definitely trying to like subtly put them together by knowing exactly how.
0: Well, I mean. When you're a freshman, super seniors do seem like gods and they do seem to figure together. (laughs) And we do have the one moment near the end of the show where like Higuchi takes him out to that like little spillway where the rock steps are and just explains like your life's not perfect, but it's the one you're living and you could spend an eternity trying to get things right, but it's better just to, to be there for what's happening. And of course the protagonist is like, I don't know what he's talking about. Of course (laughs) I can have a perfect life. Uh, (laughs) Let me do
1: it all over again. Uh yeah. Yeah. I uh, I really I really love that.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm not sure because if it was because it has such a um tight um cast of characters, but I think it was like barely a foot put wrong by any of the voice actors for the performance. Like some of them yeah. just being plain outstanding like uh, Maya Sakamoto as Akashi is, is just absolutely amazing like just like the moth moments are just like my favorite <laughs> moments in the whole thing where you just go from this this very calm delivery to just absolute terror to uh, calm but not quite calm and just just that
0: hint of edge to a voice in there and just being able to get that across is wonderful yeah it's it's part of the advantage of having a 30 year old woman voicing a voicing an 18 year old woman is that you can have this like really like i love her like why should i have to do that i can't even remember what it is in japanese but like she's like why should i have to do that thing and it's like her catchphrase and everyone's like kind of scared of it because like she won't be pushed around and she will not she will not like let herself be like the victim of circumstance that the protagonist so often is in this show like she knows what she wants and like even when she's caught being the pin pal uh, having taken over for Ozu um, during the the three part arc, um, she's like, "I'm sorry, uh, you did lie a lot, but also I was lying, so we're even." <laughs> yeah. and, and then he doesn't do anything with that. Like he yeah. doesn't. He doesn't. doesn't like the fact it. that she's literally like, "We've both made mistakes. Let's have a good relationship from here on out." And he doesn't like. Doesn't jump. His, in. his his a little his annoying cowboy libido is just like, "Why didn't you go home with her? That was a nice moment. Ask her out." Uh, and he's like, no, it's not moral. I should, <laughs> <laughs> I should join a, a, a creepy like secret police on campus instead. That'll fix my life. <laughs> One
2: slightly sad thing is the uh, VA for mm-hmm. um, uh, Higuchi passed away in 2020. So I assume um, to tell me uh, uh, Time Machine Blues is, has had to recast that part because he's he's part of the, the core dynamic. So uh, it's, it feels. It feels strange to to think that I I know of us Ben and I don't know if at, at the end you 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 might want to cap this off by talking about out it. Um, I know you've watched the, some of the um the new series, but does it? I wonder how it'll feel to hear, <laughs> hear a different voice.
0: No, it's fine I I haven't noticed honestly um but that I'm not a very keen observer of, of Japanese voices even <laughs> though I, I try mightily because I have this thing called an anime podcast that I should <laughs> but no there's I actually I I was wondering um because when people are asking me in the chat uh in our in our like chat before this recording about like you know uh what timeline do we, they take and is is the protagonist now the ozu and ozu's become the protagonist and like no it's just it's just another story it takes place during summer um after his first two years of college and they are filming a movie with uh the movie club but he's not affiliated and so there's kind of a sense that we got our true timeline where he just didn't didn't make any friends for his first two years and just stayed in his room <laughs> and is now kind of but there's not a lot of continuity it's, it's more setting up the same thing it's setting up themes of regret setting up themes of like what could you change And how much really does change if you are to change your past, how, how much of your core moral identity, how much of your, your core sense of reality is dependent on the random things you go through in life. Um, And I think it, I I suspect it'll come to largely similar conclusions, but, but um, instead of doing a time loop, doing a, like a time machine hijinks uh, show for Four or five episodes. It's weird that they're doing, you know, there's a special secret episode, but no comment. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's funny. And like they've advanced, they've also like elaborated all the characters like a little bit. Like Jogusaki's now got an undercut and is like terrifyingly ripped. And uh, Akashi now has her, has like this apron dress that she wears all the time and has her hair back in a ponytail. Like everyone's like grown a bit. And it kind of does feel like coming back to old friends in that way of just seeing all these characters like, as opposed to the stasis of the TV show that aired back in 2010, like these characters have all advanced. They've reconsidered their style. Um, They are all a bit closer. It's nice in Tatami Time Machine Blues that we just get to hang out with the characters and they like will talk about stuff that's not laser-focused on setting up the next next time loop or whatever as it is in the original show. So yeah, I'm excited to talk more about that. But uh, we have some waiting to do, apparently, so... (laughs)
1: uh but the replacement for higashi is uh kazuya nakai who um famously is zoro from one piece so um, it's a it's a pretty different voice i guess but he's got quite a
0: few i mean if it's a good va that won't be a problem yeah i mean ben didn't notice so it's not like it's not like he's completely (laughs) and there's a lot of like we'll talk about this later when we talk about how there is one voice actress who is in two different anime doing weirdly different performances when we come to our uh, end of season wrap up after the break. Uh, but I mean, it's, I always find myself embarrassed. Like I find myself embarrassing myself whenever I try to like, oh, this is this actor. They can only do this voice. Yeah. Like they are after all professionals and can um, at the very least do mimicry. Um, and Sataru Higuchi always mumbled. Like, he always just kind of had, like, a very, like, calm, mumbly voice. And uh, I think Keiji Fujiwara was great at it. And I'm sure Kazuya Nakai will be great at it. Um, one would hope, at least. <laughs> I didn't notice. They're roughly the same age. So, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I mean, I, I do think that for typecasting, I mean, some VAs are typecasted.
0: Like, yeah. So, totally yeah, that's true. when,
1: like, I think Mao, and then there's also, like, Daisuke Ono is, like, a big one. You know when there's a Daisuke Ono involved. He sounds like every other motherfucking JoJo protagonist. <laughs> he's like, but is that Jojo. is that just
0: because he's gotten famous enough that he doesn't need to do performances? He can just show up as himself, like uh yeah. What's his face, Hiroshi Kamiya, or whatever? <laughs> just can just show up and be himself, <laughs> and he's great at that. But yeah, <laughs> I imagine so. Or yeah, he is. Or it's like
1: um, a character that's created because of him for him. And so they're just like, just do yourself because this is what we wanted this character's voice to be. Um, and then he also is paired with someone else who I always think, who I always forget, who's like, yeah, who they always like meet up, and you you just know that they're them. But the name of the other VA has escaped me. Um, it could also be like a uh, like a company or a, you know a production thing where. They have a, a set production of like a producers of VAs and they only choose one off the list of VAs. <laughs> that are in. But
0: that's boring.
1: Let's not talk about that.
0: Uh, anyone have any last comments that they want to make with, before we wrap this up and head into uh, these still good but much less electrifying fruits of this past season <laughs> of anime? Uh, I, I mean, I just want to say it's still one of my
1: favorite animes. If not... Like, yeah. Uh I'm really happy that I rewatched it and I also found that binging it so quickly I uh, didn't didn't get bored of it at all. The, even the repetition <laughs> I didn't get bored of. Uh also strong shout out to the ending Yashimuro Etsuko, absolutely banging. I love that ending song so much. Uh
0: it's good. It, it's really weird to watch the new show and it's just like Asian Kung-Fu Generation is still doing the, the opening <laughs> music and it just makes me it makes me feel old and not because like I remember watching like Naruto when it aired and having an an Asian Kung Fu generation Uh and then there's Tami Galaxy and now it's 2022 and I'm like oh man they still rock in exactly the same way (laughs) as they did (laughs) decades ago which you know good for them good for them honestly like keep that sound they're really oh, good hey. sounds.
1: Uh, we are fighting dreamers. That's you know what
0: i was
2: gonna <laughs> say. I guess the, my final thing will be is I'm gonna be interested to see how um, the tatami uh, time machine blues feels when it's put out as a single movie because I I do think um, obviously the part of the 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 thing which made um, tatami galaxy what it was was that repetition and how. A time machine plots can be handled within a single film. I think is well, very different to a serial.
1: Hmm, but you know, life is short. Walk on, girl is also a film, and I think that that kind yeah. of condensed the good bits of you know to Tammy Galaxy into like
0: an hour. And a... True, but it doesn't have time machine in its title. Yeah. Well, I also think that generally speaking, it seems like this author really leans heavily on vignettes, even in the original novel. Um, uh, four-and-a-half Tatami mythology or whatever it's called, actually, Um, there's, like, four sections that he goes through. And the same with Naioh Short Walk-On Girl, there's, like, four sections. This is very much not... I mean, maybe in the original novel it is, like, again, like a, a like, anthological vignette-based storytelling, but it does seem just like one story, which is not something he usually does. He usually gives himself these, like... Formalistic breaks to reset character relationships and to advance circumstances and just have everyone fucking around with a time machine. <laughs> um, where, uh, mm. I mean, there's a great moment. I'm just going to, my one spoiler is there's a great moment where they, just, they thought, think about going back to dinosaurs. And then Akashi's like, well, Tyrannosaurs lived 150 million years ago and we can only go back 100 years. So it'll take us 1.5 million uh, time travels to go back to the dinosaur age, at which point we will all be dead just from the sheer time <laughs> that it would take to get back that far in time. And everyone's like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> but there's a, I
1: love so It's still
0: it's still a very highly analytical show and a very intellectualized show, but it is yeah. like a story of people, of a bunch of idiots, who we now know very well, discovering a time machine and, <laughs> trying, and trying to figure out what good you can make out of having mm. a time machine. Mm. Especially if you're worried that changing the past will change the future, mm. etc. I mean...
1: It's notable that this is based off of a, uh, a stage play as opposed to mm-hmm. a novel um which is interesting um the other thing i just wanted to say is i don't know how much mileage that they that UASA can get out of using these reusing these same characters i love them dearly uh i really adore their art style i think it's unique i think it's beautiful i think it's great but Kinda of feels like the more there is of it, the less special it feels. Does that make I mean,
2: sense? <laughs> One thing I mean, is, it's not you, Asher.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say, luckily he has something yeah. to do with it, so you can't blame him. <laughs> oh really? Is he
0: not? I yeah. didn't even
1: notice that. Okay. It's science Sorrow though, isn't it?
0: Yep. It's uh, science science but the but the director is is someone else. Shingo Natsume. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, he, so he like, did space dandy. Space Dandy, One Punch Man, Akka boogie pop and others sunny boy like, that's the guy sun like considering what he did on sunny boy i'm like sunny boy is one of the
2: shows which in is probably the closest to exploring some of the same ideas that um, um tatami galaxy did but in a kind of a farm sometimes more strange way um so i'll be interested to see what he does um with science sarah at his uh beck and call yeah yeah
1: okay. yeah
0: yeah Interesting. Cool. We ready cool. to take a break? Come yeah, back, exactly. talk about like Horus Recoil, Rent a Girlfriend, Fall of the Night, Overlord, all that. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like yep. back it's the end of the summer 2022 anime season and we have some shows to talk about i have more than i did at the beginning of the season because i was really depressed only watching uh-huh. a girlfriend <laughs> but before we get into that andy what have you been watching
1: yeah uh, i just i think i'm the only one who's watched this but i recently well um, ages ago i got the blu-ray for uh, the girl from the other side which was kickstarted uh and a, it's a lovely little Wit Studio joint. It's based off of the manga of the same name that's very beloved. Um and I didn't actually know anything about this going in. It's based on folklore, and you get a strong folklore feeling, and it basically um revolves around two people, Sensei and Shiva. Um Sensei being uh a an outsider. Um, who is basically this sort of weird thing that infects people. And then they turn into like these shadow monsters and then eventually they die. But when they turn into a shadow monster, they also lose all sense of self and all sense of person. And they kind of just are like attacking monsters and then, uh, and then, yeah, then they die. So kind of like a zombie thing. Um, and then there is this uh, sensei who comes in. He is an outsider, but he's got his own self still. He's got his own memories and, own personalities meanwhile uh there is shiva who is this child that he saves from a village uh and he vows upon his life to um to protect her as in this sort of strange cruel world and it is mostly about their relationship especially considering the fact that him he can't touch her because he's, if he touches a person, it gives them his disease, and then they get infected and die. So he doesn't want to kill her. So uh, he, you know, doesn't touch her. He uses like an axe to hold on to her, and it's very sweet. Uh, and then basically, there's a point where she, he realizes that she is infected. She got infected all the way at the beginning, and he tries to save her. Um, I won't get too much into it, but it's it's very bittersweet. It's very like. Adorable, the animation is beautiful. it has this complete water painting feel to it uh there's so much beautiful animation going on all the time um and it's also just like really serene and really uh it's kind of like minimalist in a way there's the the art style is very simplistic, but then you also have a um a soundtrack that is is barely there. There's only a few times when it really comes in and kicks in, and otherwise it's just mostly just winds, walking, and sort of like silence, uh, and it it's it's kind of hauntingly beautiful. Mm. Uh, I really recommend it. I think it's got a a lot more that I didn't appreciate first time watching it, and probably a rewatch I'll, I'll get, pick out a lot more from it. Um, and there's a lot of themes going on, mostly sort of like familial paternal themes through uh, Sensei and his relationship to Shiva, but then also Shiva, like Sensei's kind of like cold heartedness and sort of trying to protect the future. And then Shiva trying to protect Sensei's past and the things that Sensei's going to forget at some point, which he is also equally terrified because the thing that he doesn't want is her to turn into one of these outsiders. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. I can't. I can't really say much more without. I don't know, ruining it. Maybe I don't think I'm gonna ruin it much, but I will say that like, this covers most of the manga. Um, it, it's yeah, bit two big thumbs up. So we absolutely loved it.
2: Would you say this is a a big screen watch, Andy, or, or like, or is this because obviously this is a film? Mm. Is it? Yeah. Is it something which? benefits from being seen on a nice big TV or even in a cinema.
1: (laughs) I am always of the opinion that any film is designed to be shown in a cinema. So I feel that it is obviously worth seeing it in a cinema. I didn't watch it in a cinema and it didn't take anything away from it, but I did watch it on a big TV screen. I don't feel that there's a lot of detail in the art and in the visuals, but that doesn't mean it doesn't deserve, you know, a big screen.
2: Okay. Well, from one uh, show about um, um, Shadow People, um, we'll go switch to another, and I'll quickly talk about um, Season 2 of Shadow's House, um, which I think
3: Jeff watched Season 1. I know John did. Uh, I Yeah, I, I think I watched the first half of the first season. I kind of fell off of it.
2: Yeah. So I, I, I really enjoyed the first season as uh, really... Um, enjoyable uh, mystery show with uh, quite a quite a unique visual flair. Um,
1: What's we'll it about again?
2: So, um, basically, uh, Shadows House is a mystery. In season one, we're introduced to the the children's wing of Shadows House, which is this um, ma- mansion which sort of sits amongst the mists, and it's we are introduced to it. In kind of a, a blank slate, uh, in the same way that uh, our two protagonists, Emilio, and Kate are, um, it has a population of aristocratic shadows and their servants, are the dolls. Um, Emilico is uh, the doll; Kate is the shadow, and it really is very minimal on on detail initially. It's we come in knowing as little as um, Kate and Emilico do. Because what exactly are the shadows? What's their relationship with their dolls who are their mirror images? Can anyone. Is there a way to leave the house? Like, th- why doesn't anyone remember anything before they got there? Like, it's, there's a lot of questions, and I think it's to its credit that in the second season they, they answer a lot of things but it still remains a very compelling mystery show throughout Um mm. I don't know if this is, is maybe a stretch but I think what it reminds me most of is the sort of m- murder mysteries of where you have a single location and everyone's within it and it's things like Murder on the Orient Express or, or death, in the, death on the Nile
1: or Knives Out
2: yeah uh, and like a, a big part of that is that people know more than they're letting on everyone's loyalty and motives are suspect and perhaps more importantly for the second season that the stakes are far more deadly than anyone realized when they got into the situation and that sort of slow realization of the the stakes being bigger than you thought is i think something which I really appreciated in this that like it's it's not a sudden oh now now it's now it's on it's just a little bit by bit this the these little bits of information in clicking into place and you realizing okay people aren't getting out of this alive it's considering like all the characters' children that's mm-hmm. uh that's not that's not normally what happens in any show when there's kids like like in a lot of of stories kids will have basically childhood armor where like nothing's going to happen to them because they're kids and therefore nothing bad can happen to them uh a lot of bad things can happen to the kids in this no 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 um and like it's this idea of like um class um with obviously having a, an aristocratic servant relationship, a sort of upstairs downstairs thing, is also um, played played out. Um, I, I sort of don't really feel because it's a lot of the enjoyment i i i have i had from it was from the slow reveal, like the way the pieces click together, like this this very satisfying l- sort of discovery of bits bit by bit of who's not telling you what and who is and what new thick bit of information is found I, I I almost feel like talking about the plots are irrelevant because it's it's not really the overall plot isn't really what's compelling it's it's the way it's pieced together and it it was a, it really carried me through it it's 12 episodes really well and I would happily recommend it to anyone who enjoyed the first season and forgot there was a second season.
1: Kind of reminds me of like Promised Neverlander. Like Promised Neverland also had a similar yeah. thing where there was a lot of intrigue at the beginning. Um and and also kids didn't end up very well. But yeah. also it feels like it did the mystery better than Promised Neverland did. Uh I felt Promised Neverland really dropped the ball by the end of the yeah. season.
2: I mean a lot of people were very upset with the way um uh I Promised Eve- Evelyn's second season yeah. went. Um
1: and the first season as well. Like there was a lot of stuff that they modified to make it fit better in an anime season, which I didn't notice as an anime as the anime watcher, but mids and I know John also certainly picked up on a lot of the ways that they defined like how they discovered things to be really dissatisfying yeah um,
2: uh, the, the the writer um, same writer worked on the first season of, of Neverland and Shadow's House um, he also worked on um, uh, Land of the Lustrous which is of things we, you we will recognize um, and so mm. I, 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 Land of the Lustrous also had a, a good sense of, of mystery to it and I think I think he does that well I think what uh, Neverland maybe suggests is he doesn't necessarily do the, the point where everything. Is comes out into open and is revealed that well. It's he's he, he's good at the mystery, but not necessarily at when things things
0: all kick off. Well, speaking of second seasons that that we wish didn't exist, <laughs> uh, Andy, did. how far how far into Rent a Girlfriend's second season did you get?
1: Uh, I got um, I got to episode seventeen, so I've got about five episodes in. Um, uh-huh. And and I and uh, <laughs> I stopped watching. I didn't stop watching because I didn't want to. Uh, well, I didn't want to, but it was intensely boring. Like the thinking back to what I liked about the first season is just how wild it goes. He's jumping off boats. He's making all sorts of dumb fucking decisions, and you don't like any of them. But at least they're fun and entertaining. And now this is like this really uh, boring romantic sort of. Triangle where you got two girls who are both uh in love with somehow is in love with Kazuya, and I I don't I don't care. Like this is the problem. I, I I I hate Kazuya's existence. Uh I think you've also mentioned this a couple of times when we uh when we've been speaking privately. Uh but like every time Chizuru comes on. He doesn't talk about anything about how beautiful and cute and sexy he is, she is and just like completely reduces her character. This is a person who we know is like an actor. We know has stuff going on, like family stuff going on. She has dreams and ideals and Kazzy doesn't even care about any of them. He just thinks that she's mega hot,
0: which, yes, she is. I mean, one would assume so. But uh, but yeah, I, I definitely agree that the first episode kicks off with him with Kazia, who, if you need a refresher from the last season because who doesn't, um, is a loser who gets dumped by his girlfriend like maliciously and hires a, uh an escort basically to pretend Mm -hmm. to be his girlfriend for his friends and get sucked into their weird escort world where multiple escort girls are like (laughs) have feelings for him but he's like super in love with this one girl who ends up living next to him and he can never have actual romantic feelings for her because she's a a paid sex worker or at least a paid like social escort and Mm -hmm. uh and yeah Uh, So in this season, he sees her perform and he's really moved and we're supposed to kind of get in momentum for this season from just how into her dream he is now that he understands it from seeing her act. But because all he ever does when he thinks about Chizuru is talk about how beautiful and amazing she is, it makes him like there's no way to assess the sincerity of his assessment of her acting ability. And meanwhile, there's a bunch of like. Ruka digressions where she makes a play to become the main rent-a-girlfriend. And that's the wild thing is that he has girls who want to date him, but he's chasing after his next door neighbor, um, who has said that like, we're pretending cause our grandmothers are friends. We're never going to date. And he's like, I'm cool with that. And then just keeps trying to date her. And there's a quiet girl and his ex-girlfriend's jealous because he seems to be popular with women. And God, there's only one really good episode, which is where he goes, he tries to throw a joint birthday, um, but then Chizuru can't show up and Ruka shows up and like really tries to know to muscle in on being like the grandmother's favorite girlfriend Uh, and then Chizuru shows up and to quote the Anime News Network review like rolls in like the girlfriend Terminator and just like is the world's (laughs) most professional girlfriend and like that's funny that's what this show was promised to me to be was like oh look at these wacky hijinks where like no one knows that he hired a fake girlfriend and here's the real girl who really wants to be with him whatever um that goes away and then the finale is that um her grandmother's going to die soon, Chizuru's, like, sooner than we thought. And so Kazuya, in a grand romantic gesture, offers to put together a crowdfunding campaign so that she can be in a movie, so that her grandmother can see a movie, be- her in a movie before she dies. And, like, on the one hand, awesome. I'm glad to, like, actually see things from Chizuru's point of view, not filtered through Kazuya's dumb-as-shit interpretation of every single social interaction. But, like, why wasn't this episode one? why wasn't this episode one? My God, nothing has yeah. happened in this show.
1: Yeah, this... <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds really good. Like
0: the, the, I mean, I'm, I'm it... kind of pissed at this, like last minute, like, oh, I can do a crowdfunding campaign. You know, it's going to next season, they have a whole season. It's probably just going to all be about the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be a silent voice, but shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like the thing that really pisses me off as well is it's like, there's one hook, which is the rental girlfriend thing. And then that's also um, the the only hook that Kazuya can seem to mentally conceive as a way to fix things. He's like, that first episode sees what an amazing actor she is and then is pissed off because, you know, the real world isn't as rosy as it should be. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they hire a different girl because she is a talent as opposed to the person who's actually talented um and you know that's life she should have realized that and known it um but and she kind of did but then his response was like i'll just keep i'll just throw money at you yeah i'm gonna rich you so fucking much yeah and and there's like one good gag where he talks to his like karaoke manager who's like who's married an airline hostess and she's just like i i i earn so many air miles now because i wanted (laughs) to see her and that was a good joke but also like that's the motivation like that's that's the person's looking up to and his only response is like just keep throwing money at the problem and it will go away much like our government anyway <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah uh, i i i i assume i'll watch the next season but god it's just nothing happens and they're so and like someone was like a drinking game uh this is again thank thanking the uh, the excellent anime news network reviews of these which are were my only comfort on on some nights having to watch this piece of shit <laughs> uh, but yeah he said like a drinking game every time Kazuya just talks about how pretty Chizuru is and I counted the the mm. episode after he he made that joke and it's like 40 times in and a half hour it's why like he just all he can do is just oh she's so pretty why am I such a piece of shit I wish I could be with her Oh, she's so pretty. Wouldn't it be so great if we could date? Oh, but she never liked me. Oh man, she's so cute and she's so perfect every way. Every way she is just oh my god, dude. I have to be in the head of someone who's in a codependent relationship. Except he's not in a codependent relationship. He is in love with a hooker. Is 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 the, is the same? Like I don't, that's not that's not who he is. That's not who yeah, he is. But like that's the it's feel. It. Is like mm. this isn't a real relationship. You are stuck in a parasocial relationship with an employee or like a yeah. client that you're yeah. high. Like oh yeah. my god, just stop. I'm,
1: And meanwhile, like like Ruka is like trying to get with him so hard, and understandable because Ruka is actually his girlfriend, and he's still just like completely ignoring her, being a real piece of shit to her at every turn. And Ruka is like so nice to him, and like yeah, you can keep dating Chizuru for a paid app, but know that I'm your actual girlfriend. Yeah, I'm your real
0: girlfriend.
1: Yeah, and it's like I don't know. I really like. Luca's character in the first season, and I really hope that it would continue. But instead, she kind of just gets sidelined as a a bit of a pushover, and then it also just feels Looks stupid. like yeah, I agree. Yeah, but but it also just makes Casia look uh, predatory. Is that the right word?
0: Like yeah, well, she's makes, also a high school girl, and he's in college too, so that's yeah. also a little bit of spice there.
1: <laughs> uh, and like oh the. The bit where he's like, I wanna get Chizuru a present was the last episode I watched. And his way to fix that was to to hire Sumi, which is another like paid for escort, to tell her what to buy him her. And she's like, I don't fucking know. You make your own decisions, she'll just appreciate <laughs> the thought. Which you don't need to pay someone like eighty quid for an hour to work that out. <laughs> Google this shit, mate.
0: <laughs> and you know it's even better, Andy. They go on another date, and in the penultimate episode, uh, and she tries to confess to him, but she's too shy to get the words out. So now it's just it's just a harem. It's just a harem. It this this guy who has never never thought or done a selfless thing except for the time that he jumped off a ferry. <laughs> uh, maybe, which was- maybe
1: maybe I'll start supporting uh mammy cuz it feels like mammy's the only one who actually agrees with the audience and fucking hates his guts um <laughs> but she's she's played as such a, like a psycho yeah <laughs> a psycho like hedge like base reductive like bitter bitch that it's hard to get behind her because you see nothing from her point of view and you feel you have no idea as to what her intentions actually are you just hear Oh, hi, kazuya san And then the menacing voice, like the menacing, dong, dong, chok, 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 dong, dong, don't like theme tune comes in. You're like, okay, so she's just going to say some really innocuous shit and then Kazuya's going to lose his
0: mind. Yeah, we've had one picture, we've had one peek inside her head and it's that she likes breaking up with guys and like really smashing their heart because then they'll think of her for the rest of their lives. And that's like...
3: Fucked sociopath
0: up. shit <laughs> yeah. and for the show to even bring us back around to like hey maybe mommy's got a point maybe Kazuya's heart needs to be like really just like pancakes uh, and you like yeah that's fair yeah okay yeah yeah,
1: mate, yeah. mommy the breeder of incels mommy yes yeah.
3: <laughs> ugh let's move on yeah speaking of speaking of kind of shocky shows that you've resigned yourself to watching more of I've been watching Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer uh unfortunately this is almost the exact opposite of rent to Canada Joe because rather than the content being garbage and the production being fantastic it uh, the story is leading me along but boy howdy did they do a bad job of putting it on the screen um it's yeah. the uh it's based on a, a manga which came out in well it started running in 2005 uh it was largely hailed as a sort of a refreshing change of pace of shonen like battling it's got a a huge cast is you know the main characters you know they're slightly aged up they have a little bit more going on but translating that to you know what appears to be a 24 hour or a 24 uh, episode series is just it sometimes it's just absolutely breakneck sometimes just absolutely nothing happens and at no point does it ever look good and it's i this is like one of the weirdest most painful watches that i've seen in a while just in terms of sheer (laughs) production and i'm a philistine Hmm. as much as i'm on an anime podcast and should probably have higher standards i largely will not notice when animation is bad or when the music is bad or when the designs are bad. But man, like I can only imagine somebody with taste watching the show and just being <laughs> violently repelled by it because like the pacing is off. It oh, it's just it's really weird.
1: You're talking to a guy who loves kimono so, fans. <laughs> you know, like, but the bar ain't that high <laughs>
3: but it's deliberate versus accidental. Yeah and but but at the same time, like, I think it might also just kind of suffer from the fact that, you know, we live in a world now where like Mob Psycho 100 exists. And like the, the idea of, you know, the, the, the fighting show being somewhat deconstructed and repackaged as something a little bit more thoughtful has been done very, very well. And I'm noticing that the third season of Mob Psycho is coming out next season. I'm looking forward to that. And it'll be interesting to watch that next to watching this because I I I still want to give this a chance. I feel like it's got something to say and it's kind of enjoyable. And every now and then it like it, it'll it'll reach me. It'll you know make me feel human emotion. But anytime it, there's like a fight scene going on, it's just like oh this 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 is so crap. This is so bad. Like every monster just looks like a weird CG pile of poo. And I'm not even really like, Mm -hmm. like exaggerating. Like every, every monster looks bad. Every fight is boring. And every now and then they'll sort of lampshade the fact that like, you know, one guy got a new power and he's like, Oh, this is, this is my drill kick. And I'm going to yell drill kick every time I say it. And he gets into the fight and he gets like really into the groove and does it like 15 times in a row and exhausts himself. Cause he like wants to look cool. Cause he's just like 30 year old dude with no job surrounded by children who are also super powered. And he's just like, I just want to look cool in front of these kids and I'm fucking this up.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's notable that, um, at from the biscuits hammers studio is Naz who, um, it did the remake of Thermi romai which was like painfully boring to the point where I stopped after ten minutes, and the other notable thing is like Hajime no Gal, which was also like gross and badly produced. <laughs> it feels like they are picking up stuff that they know would be a definite hit with a smaller crowd who just want, who are just happy to see their shit animated. Mm. Um, and then they don't really care about the quality beyond that.
3: I mean, um, it's a shame. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually interested to read the manga now. Go back because it it finished a decade ago, and yeah. so it's easy to it's easy yeah. to actually like read start to finish. I'm very curious to see how it compares.
1: Whenever, whenever I hear like when you initially brought it up uh, at the beginning of the season, like when you hear about an anime, a manga like that that was like finished its run ten years ago and has now resurfaced. It's either two things. It's like a passion project for a studio who wants to make something like really beautiful, um, or it's just just like a tasteless cash-in, and it, they don't really care, and it's really cheap. And unfortunately, it sounds like it's a cheap one and not the other one. <laughs> yeah,
3: unfortunately.
2: One thing you might want to do, Jeff, if you enjoyed the, the story, but... Well, severely disappointed by the production values is you might want to uh nip back to 2018 and watch uh, planet with uh which is by the same author and which uh, me and john both very much enjoyed uh at mm. the time john is probably thanking his himself for his policy of not watching seasons until well they're finished at the moment because uh, i know lucifer and and the Biscuit Hammer was a beloved series of his. And I think this could end the general talk of the, um, the 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 anime community is in general that it was kind of, as you say, like this early attempt at doing something different, which endeared it to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And for it to come out finally and come out where it's no longer new unique and therefore doesn't get the adaptation it deserves is kind of sad. Um,
1: yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, moving on to a different show that has great production values, but for some people I feel maybe doesn't have the story chops um, of other shows. Let's talk about Licorice Recoil, <laughs> which I actually really loved. Um, I, I, Yeah, me and Mid's like blasted through this. Uh, really quickly this is um a story this is like i think the unexpected hit of the season uh i don't think anyone was really expecting this to be as big as it was gonna be um it is a story about uh a secret society of uh orphaned female assassins called the licorice and um on top of which there is a strange uh project adam is that what it's called i think uh, which sort of has this weird, like, background sort of like thing of it. It makes geniuses for whatever reason, uh, and it mostly follows uh, Takina and Chisato. Takina being someone who's from uh, the DA or like the school of licorices, like these these like, professional schoolgirl assassins. Um, and they uh, he she disobeys orders and saves a, a classmate um and but also nearly kills her as well um and she so she is uh expelled from the school and then is forced to work in a sweet shop uh, in a cafe with the main girl chisato who is basically vash to stampede but a cute girl um so therefore better uh and (laughs) <laughs> so, oh ben's got a very disapproving face
0: <laughs> no i'm just i'm just not feeling well sorry <laughs> that's okay because of the thing um, you said
1: and it, they <laughs> and it has a like a fun like central core of like those two and then there's also the supporting ones which is kurumi who is uh, a genius hacker who also goes by walnut uh then there's a nakahara mizuki who is also like a supervisor who is a bit of like a a lonely, drunk, sort of, like, uh, OB, OB? Oh, uh, office lady. Yeah. Office lady. And then Mika, who is, like, the actual person who owns the cafe. And the story revolves around them. Like, there's this weird... Uh, it starts off with some weapons getting stolen, and then it goes to... And then Majima, this sort of... Another weird, like, enemy comes up who has, like, super hearing. And I, it's it's good. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm really, like... Murdering the plot synopsis, but <laughs> yeah, I think well, the I mean, important.
0: <laughs> go ahead, uh, Andy, sorry.
1: I think the important thing that I really loved, um, for me, was Takino and Chisato's relationship. I absolutely loved that. I I loved their sort of like bokeh sukome, their sort of like bread and uh, chalk and cheese type, from fond- like hate and fondness for each other, and that for me really really worked. There was like a point, like season six or seven, where. I don't think it was important to the plot, but I was like, I could just watch this forever. Like, this is so much fun. I'm loving these characters. I'm loving the goofy Chisato against this, like, straight-laced Takina and their, like, constant bickering, but then still their, like, love for each other. Takina having, like, a weird thing about not knowing how to dress whilst Chisato then, like, goes out and teaches her. It's really sweet. It's really lovely. It's really funny. And I feel that when the main story eventually rears its head, personally, I liked it. I thought... It was an interesting dilemma of trying to get Chiseto to actually kill someone. Um and I I think there's one episode left and it's a bit annoying because you know like it's probably no,
0: not going No, it's done. It's over. It, it, came, out, it, it, it came out like it yesterday. It yeah, it yesterday. Oh, okay. I haven't watched it then. So you might have to take your headphones off for part of this. <laughs> um I mean I liked I liked the story about trying to make Chiseto kill somebody and I liked it even better when it was Trigun and it was Knives and Legato Blue Summers, and I understood what the characters represented. Because I also, I like the moment-to-moment stuff. I like the episode-to-episode stuff. I like the character relationships. I like the action. 100% agreed. I do not know what this society is supposed to represent or what the dilemma that the characters are confronting within it is supposed to mean, because we have this secret police... This draconian secret police, where people are killed for breaking the law. There are undercover schoolgirls everywhere. If you break the law, you will be disappeared by a girl shooting you in the head. They have that for even
1: and boys. And, yeah, well
0: we we find out that the uh, we find out that the watchers who watch the watchers are are high school boys. Um, <laughs> so this seems like a bad society, right? Mm-hmm. Where like people are just executed without trial. Um, in the name of maintenance of public order. And then we have the guy who's trying to tear it down, Majima, who is bombing rail stations and blowing up communications towers to reveal that this perfect society, again, a perfect society that's upheld by warrantless, judgeless executions um, is not perfect. So are we supposed to cheer for the bad guy who's blowing up who's blowing up stuff, or are we supposed to cheer for the... Um, for the unaccountable assassination squads, and then we get in mixed with the Chisato of like, okay, Alan, the Alan organization is trying to build weapons. Um, to that's what they're doing with geniuses is they're making weapons to to help shape society towards their thing. And so there's a guy who's trying to make Chisato kill, and she refuses to. And meanwhile, Majima is still there, um, trying to like reveal the sham um, of the of this hyper-ordered society or it is he, or does he just want to rematch with Chisoto? Cause that also seems like what's happening too. And like when the show ends and we see how things are and we see that DA direct action is still there. Um, mm-hmm. We see that the like Horus Um, are still active to a certain extent. They're still out there murdering people and taking back the guns that Majima did. Because also, sorry, good guy who wants to reveal the sham that is like Horace also distributed a thousand guns to everyday people to force so many crimes to happen that they will no longer be able to hide in the shadows as a secret, unaccountable execution organization. I just, like, that's a mess. I don't need it at all. I don't need them to have a Vincent XP fight Little girl Vash to stampede, and if they do, he should he should just be a terrorist. He shouldn't have a point. He should just be a bad guy. And maybe he's like, I think it's bad to assassinate people. Um, like, there's a they have a whole conversation about how like about how about how like oh, there's no bad guys. Everyone's got their reasons for doing stuff, and it's like, do you have reasons for your unaccountable kill squads? Because I I don't know who I'm supposed to cheer for. I cheer for Takina and Chisato, but I don't I don't know. I don't like this plot. I don't. It, it, it really got in the way. And every time it wasn't about that, and it was about their cute little cafe and uh, the uh, the C- walnut, the secret hacker being this this kind of like lazy little girl. And of course. The uh, the Christmas cake office yeah. lady who drinks all the time <laughs> is, is great. Like I like I like this show. I just don't know what the plot was supposed to tell me about any of these characters because it doesn't seem to really have much to say when it comes to what these people are fighting for. Like is fighting mm-hmm. to go back to like have her wonderful idyllic life, but she's fighting in the name of the unaccountable kill squads. Um who washed her? Who washed her friend out to cover up their own fuck up and their own failure to protect people? Like, who are we? Like, I mean, it, it, when I when I'm left at the point where I'm just cheering for the most likable characters in a in a mm-hmm. in a show that involves multiple like morally gray, almost morally offensive things happening, I just I get my wires really crossed, and it really got in the way of me enjoying what is honestly I think a shout out to like the super superpowered shonen protagonists of 20 years ago are Satan protagonists mm. like Vash and like and like uh, cowboy bebop man spike and, Kenshin and all as that all well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like yeah. i like i like these genius fighters and i like that like i ultimately like that Chisato had a had a very distinct moral stance and the fact that her hero turned out to be a a bag of shit didn't change her morals that's great i love that i wish that I wish that the evil organization that's been murdering people on the streets for the past decade or, or however many, like, I don't, like, they're still in place. They're still working with them. I mean, they went on vacation to Hawaii yeah. at the end, so yeah. <laughs> I
1: don't know. No, I mean, the, the bit that I really loved, like, the Chisato, I really loved it when, and this is going to sound weird, I loved it when Chisato, like, uh, got uh, his, her heart attacked so that she's definitely going to die within, like, six months. And then I was like, okay, so this is gonna have a really bittersweet ending where this character that I love, like you you really do enjoy the characters. Uh like you you want them, you want them to continue, but then knowing that this relationship is going to end, not because of their personal ideals and you know, uh uh Takina going back mm-hmm. to the DA, but because Chisoto's literally going to die, I thought it was really sweet. And then this and then fucking Walnut finds obviously a second heart and then I was like Okay, so she's gonna be fine and it kind of upset me a little bit. It kind of felt <laughs> like they, they had some feel like they had some through lines that they wanted to commit to and then they were like, Oh no, this is really popular, we could spin this out to second.
3: Um, <laughs> and and I, I honestly wonder how much of it is because this was a anime original production and we've seen a lot of those recently where either they're a weird mess with like a lot of enjoyable parts but very little cohesion like Fena Pirate Princess which I really enjoyed but it was a, again a stylistic and story mess to this to the what was that really nice looking wonder, wonder egg that is the one that I'm looking for that. Yeah. Yeah, where like yeah, it's I mean,
0: Wonder Egg made me made me more charitable to this because like yeah, it could go a lot worse places than where Wonder Egg then it it could go a lot worse places like where Wonder Egg went. Okay, Okay. this is the thing. This is the thing that I was going
1: to mention. Like, like this is the weird situation that anime is in now. It's not one thing. It's a multimedia fucking project. There's an anime. There's also a manga and a light novel, and they're all they all were announced at about the same time, and they're all like either airing or written, you know, like this, this is the weird, like world of media that we live in where it's not contained to one source anymore. It is split up so that you just can't escape it. And you know, when it works, like look at this recoil, I'm all for it because I want to see more of this. I want to see more of Chisato. Like, but I, when it fails, like Wonder Egg, then you're like, I mm, <laughs> don't, don't know what to do. Um, Sorry, you were saying something,
3: Jeff. I was also just gonna say, you know, if what we get is, you know, a thirteen episode show where you can like cobble together seven episodes worth of stuff that you like, I think that is largely a win. Like if we could just have, you know, Chisato and Takana going on dates to the the aquarium and working in the uh working in the cafe, like I would I would be happy and you know, if you have to endure a pointless monologue about balance and good and evil you know at some point it's just like oh just water off the back like at this point you gotta you gotta if you go if you've built up your anime callus enough you know you can you don't you don't, not, not everything has to be entirely perfect you can have you know you could pick and choose <laughs> make yourself happy make yeah. make little fans vids make gifts, and <laughs> It it's just a touch
0: frustrating because like I look at the the spin-off manga and light novel, the light novel's called like Horace Recoil, Ordinary Days. Why can't we have that? Why do we have to have like a, a big stupid Titanic thing about like why the tower got blown up that doesn't actually examine the the actual consequence? Like we don't we're not if we're not examining the actual consequences of this society of like instant street execution for all crimes. Why do we have that there? Like. Is to give you a reason why there's
3: schoolgirls having gunfights.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh I guess this is also maybe this might be a bit of a stretch, but maybe it's just like a representation of how media, effective media is, and then also just like how our current world like our current um current media and like creative output is one where it always has to be happy and it is messy it's not as it like people don't want like just like simple black and white anymore people want it messy and i i feel that they you know when it's a messy situation like that then the response is going to be messy too but at least it felt that they were trying something and even if they didn't land it this season there's another season in which they could maybe land it. I agree. Like I, I agree with what you're saying, especially about um, Majima and his whole arc, like, <laughs> like, and, and the DA being like weird murder things. But I, I also liked how it didn't feel like everyone was on the DA side. Didn't feel like that is the case, even within the of recoil. Like like the, the core group, they weren't really on their side either. And it, It felt like there's more world building that they could really dig into if there's a second season that could explain your issues and could explain them really well i doubt they'll do it but it would there's a potential out there for it to be really good
0: well yeah it's i mean a lot of this is difficult because you haven't seen the last episode and so a lot of what majima a lot of the backfill of why majima exists and what his relationship with the Adam Project and his own little stupid owl and his magical hearing. Like, what... Th- th- there's a sense that... that... Uh, Mr. Mister Yoshi or whatever, the, the mastermind behind the Adam Project... Oh, Shinji Yoshimatsu? Yeah, what he was... He was trying to make this, like, unerring killer out of Chisato. And then he also, like, set Majima on this collision course with her. Um, and we don't know his motivations for that i assume it's a new kind of society that is neither the anarchy that majima envisions or the draconian authoritarian state that everyone currently lives under but we'll never know that he's dead Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) oh really
3: and also yeah so like
0: (laughs) and i got the impression
3: that his whole deal was just like oh i believe that geniuses should be made to do the you know Take their abilities to the limits, regardless of what they are, and your genius yeah, abilities yeah. murder. So therefore, you must murder for the good of society, because that's how you make a good society. End of story. And now he's dead. And you know, and,
0: and I believe in that so strongly that I am willing to get killed by you to prove that I am right. Yeah,
3: get like, yeah, get the the one replacement <laughs> heart in the whole world. Uh, you know that you need to live and have it put into my chest, replacing my own healthy heart so that you will be forced to murder me. And, yeah, like, there's the, the 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 trope of the guy who is so committed to his bit that he's willing to, like, commit suicide to change the world. And, like, sometimes it works in something like Pat Labor where, you know, it's mostly just deconstructing that guy's idea. And this, you know, because mm-hmm. you're forced to, like, He's, you're you're forced to be in the world with him at the same time, and it's just like no, this is dumb. Like if you talk to somebody for ten seconds, like maybe they could get through to you, but like you know, everybody in his life who's like, hey, maybe don't do this. He's like, no, no, I have to do this one thing for no apparent reason. <laughs> and, yeah, but
1: I could imagine. I mean, the sensible the sensible expanding of that would be something like the hero killer slain in My Hero Academia who does die like very early on, but then his message and his like what he stood for then gets idealized much more than he was when he was alive. And it actually becomes a bigger threat, him dead than he was alive. So maybe they'll do something with that. I'm just saying there's, there's avenues. The other thing I just wanted to quickly mention was I loved the representation in this anime. It felt really good and not in like a, like, we've just stuck in some representation because we need to, because it will tick boxes with like a certain amount of crowds. Like Mika just being a yeah. genuine like black man who is complex and is not just like a fucking like one note joke about how
0: he's can't speak Japanese. I mean, he's not only is he a black man, he's a, he's a queer black man. Yeah. He's a gay <laughs> black man. Who's, <laughs> has a complex
1: relationship with yoshi masu sinji who's also a gay man and then on top of that you have uh what feels like a like gender neutral uh person in uh, kusunoki who's Mm -hmm. the head of da uh like i love that that was great representation and also something that just wasn't addressed like it never was addressed the fact that this person like mostly like wears pants and and doesn't you know, and, and dresses gender neutral and no one gives it blinks an not gives a shit. That was like really lovely. I really, really loved that.
0: Yeah, um, that's, that's true. You're making me feel bad about going after this so hard. I did like this show. <laughs> I just like, I wish that there was less, like if we had 50% less Majima and <laughs> 50% more anything else. I would like this a lot more. I didn't need, a, like, a philosophical debate on whether we should have kill squads in our yeah. society. <laughs> so,
1: I, I, liked, I liked Majima. I didn't like Robota. Robota annoyed the piss out of me. I liked the the other two in the DA, um, Sakura and... Maki. Oh, no,
3: not, uh, not Maki. Uh, Fuki. Fuki. Fuki, Fuki. Yeah.
1: Fuki. I wanted more of, like that relationship of like mm-hmm. the old group, like DA and then Takina and Chisato, like their relationship was like, it kind of got sort of like your enemies, my enemy type thing. But I felt like I wanted to see more of that relationship grow. Um, and then I also just didn't like Himegama, who just was like some dumb sexy ninja who just like felt so out of place. Like, the when she came in on the second to last episode wearing like a bodysuit with her massive tits hanging out and then like throwing some some knives and shit i was like what anime are you from this isn't the anime that i've been watching for the last like two, 11 episodes
0: yeah they they struggle a bit in the end with like the like chorus are supposed to be so preternaturally talented and so difficult to defeat like I liked introducing like what's the one thing that can beat high school girls high school boys is like a great escalation <laughs> if that doesn't <laughs> but they also have to like yeah Ninja Secretary and like a bunch of other stuff that I don't, that I don't yeah, think the dueling super like... hackers yeah I don't know Yeah, we'll, we'll see if there's more, more coming here I know this was a huge hit and like mm-hmm. if they want to build this world out more um, I hope it has less attempts at social commentary and more attempts at with guns, so we'll see. I, I don't
1: know. I I would love. I'd love more social. Personally, I'm all out for more social commentary as long as they do it right. Or I don't know. I I liked it. I think it's great. I I really did like it a lot. I I understand your points, and I don't think that you're wrong in them. But I I would I would what I want more. I'm happy to. Uh, and I'm happy. I love what I watched. My favorite scene is the ending of the uh, the op where, like, Chisuta gives, like, Takino, like, a cheeky kick on the bum, and then yeah, Takino, fun. like, fucking waxer. It's, like, such a perfect distillation of their characters Well,
0: even in and the, their relationship. Even in displays. the eye catches, you see, like, where it, it does, like, for the first one, it's, like, one of them reaching out, and then the next one is, like, the other side of the picture and the way they just kind of draw it in with a nice yeah. piano. Yeah. Piano arpeggio. Yeah. It's really nice. Well, um, speaking of societal commentary uh let's go to overlord (laughs) we could do overlord we could do call of the night we could probably even do devils apart timer just briefly but uh let's do overlord okay so
2: season four of overlords like speaking of things where you've certainly got more of what you wanted um i'll keep my bit here extremely brief i've never seen so much happen and yet there'd be so little impact on the fundamental state of affairs than I have in this 12 episodes. Like, huge things have happened, and yet, basically, everyone's exactly the same at the end. Some people have been killed, some new people have been brought in, but the core cast are all essentially exactly how they were when we first met them in this this season. It feels like so little has happened in these 12. Knowing them, 13th episode... Huge developments, probably, but.
1: <laughs> but I feel that that is, I feel that that is, the way that Overlord's always kind of been like. There's always been this sort of like, um, this sort of, like I remember when I spoke about it at the beginning. I said. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I've completely forgotten everything that happened in Overlord since season three. And now all of a sudden they own a town, which I think Ben, did you mention like there's a movie coming out or something, which is going to explain that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I read about it on karma burn. Yeah. There's a, there's a time skip and there's going to be a movie that's going to fill in the time skip. I don't know why they did it this way, but
2: I don't understand
1: either. I'm
0: I'm confused a lot apparently about anime (laughs) scheduling and writing these days. Uh,
1: but there's no mention of it as well, which is really frustrating. Like I, It's just like all of a sudden they got a to town. So you have like a very hard like get in. And I felt very much like I was confused by uh, the first couple of episodes. And then like I stopped caring because it, it came to like them doing fun, dumb shit. And you got into like uh, Aynes going and sort it's of certainly tending to. Tending to enjoy stuff. And then things always happen at the end. I always feel it's like the last <laughs> episode or two where stuff actually happens and actually makes a change. And then the stuff in between is is always like them setting up the the work to make the reveal at the end. So great, and I feel like it's been doing that for the last three
2: this, seasons. This this year, it's, it's, this season seems to be all about setting up Yandre Princess to do something dramatic. Um, we'll we'll f- finally find out, out, out what that is next next what,
1: week. Albedo? No. Oh, uh, you mean the other the other one?
2: Albedo is oh. Alberto is 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 a very is a is not Yandre. She's she's a, a proper Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. it's it's uh, not a
1: Sunday. Right? She's just a. Dere She's just She's like Dere It just, just is all over Ainz I, I like that there's Some slight World building stuff Especially when The dumb Mecha character Comes in And then you realise That there are actually People who are stronger Um Than him But it feels like He's forgotten His own reasons As to why he started Doing this whole Like evil shit And making a name For himself mm. Because his presumption Was that If people Were like his his original coming in was like if I find people of a high level, then they're probably also from Japan, and they can I can probably also connect with real people, but they forgot that on the one time in which there was a chance to like bring up that pos- potential, and then instead it kind of went, oh, well, it's a speaking dragon.
2: I mean, the speaking dragon then does talk about the mythical players, which is is is. is yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah. is typical oh, um, point. in big old law. Um, well, they said
1: that he is traditionally the uh, like the PC or the player, yeah. cat, like like, and we are all NPCs, which was a very fun dumb joke. But it sounds like then it is just Aynes and no one else.
2: I mean. Part of the, the, the like I've had big arguments with, with John over how much this this series cares over whether or not Ains is still human or not, or in any way still human, because like is this just a, a a representation of of someone's character having its own life, or is this a, actually a mm. person? Like that's an interesting in question, and but I mean I think it's the the former, but. Um, i i don't think he's he's a player i think he is he has become he is just th- uh uh as much as the rest uh part of the that old system but i think the the fun thing is that for me he generally is that you have some cat his way of managing or mismanaging um he he's in he is personally incredibly powerful in charge of a cast of incredibly powerful characters and he's absolutely terrified that any decision he makes is going to go wrong like he is constantly under he, there's a bit of watashi to him like his 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 rose-colored overlord days are uh uh constantly he's constantly worrying which uh kingdom to take over and uh he doesn't want to pick the wrong one because who knows what what that what mistake that will bring upon him but it just feels like this was this was kind of showboating the season this was just albedo gets to have her her episode um Caritas gets to have an episode um uh the weird Nazi um, doppelganger gets to have his ne- episode. Um, like it's, it's all people, all just off showing up, up up some of the cast. And like Ains doesn't like as you say. Like there's a chance for for growth here. Could, could he take a risk and like reach out to the other person? And go, I, I I'm not a I'm not I'm not I am something different to you. I am a, a player cat player rather than a thing. Could he take that risk? But no. It's all just in another elaborate ploy, ploys within ploys, and it's just, it was all according to plan, and it just feels so unsatisfying because of that. Because there's there's no one's grown, no one has changed. It's it's all, all stasis and all, all just hijinks.
1: Um, I don't know. I like I like the last episode I watched. I mean, it, I am in a few episodes behind, but when Zanak dies, like the merchants like give him give Irons his head in a bag and then you know yeah he then goes on and destroys them all like that was quite fun <laughs> like this is the thing i feel that it's it can't have many seasons left i know the light novels ending um, um,
2: yeah but do you know how many how many light novels this period <laughs> yeah. like, i i think it has like having looked at wikis and got and just seen like half a page of arcs, and they're going, okay, I think we're on the fourth. <laughs> I I think it, um, to say it's got um a space left that is uh, is an understatement. It's
1: only, it's only got sixteen books. Mm, you can fit a
2: lot of arcs in something like that, especially if you you're not averse to a time skip, um, which uh, Overlord certainly isn't.
1: It feels like we're probably halfway.
2: Yeah one thing i will say is you mentioned Zanach, the uh, the prince who had the prince regent kind of of the kingdom and how he's like actually had some intri- had a little bit of character development goes from this sort, sort of um uh idyllant princeling to like taking on the responsibilities of his office and going out to to die with his army and instead of fleeing and 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 that being sort of the thing which gains him aynes's respect and, like aynes is set out as someone who does things very logically and like just does things for his own best advantage that's what he sets out to sets out to him he says right why should I spare your kingdom? There's no. What's the What's the advantage to me doing so? That this is this is what I gain from destroying it. Tell me a bet a better. Make me a better deal, and he can't because he doesn't have anything to give to him. So he just destroys his kingdom. Um, and yet, despite that, he when the prince's head is handed it, it to him in a bag, that still affronts something in him. He has this. Um, one of Ainz perhaps most defining characteristic is his loyalty to his um, his guild and all the NPCs within it. The only thing he might value above su- of survival might be loyalty, um, and so this one time where he that calculation gets thrown up, where he actually does something which isn't just to his own benefit, where he does something based on just loyalty and. I like that moment but that was that was nothing new we know that kind of kind of know that about Ains it's just confirming something new about something we already know about him and I, I just felt like that, that was a lot of what this season was and, that, and as I say I have the the sense like as you said they do like to have a big finale to every season so I, th- I do suspect episode 30 probably all gets turned on its head and we'll find that out that next week because that's the way these things are um I don't know. I'm still, still enjoying it. It's still hugely popular. I have no doubt we'll get to see season five after the movies. And I guess that's one of the nice things about watching a show which is a, a, a hit and a, a mm. doesn't have huge budgets as well. <laughs> still has has the shonkiest CG, the goblins you could wish I, for.
1: I think the budget's really quite good in Overlord. Like, the, the CG gets a bit shonky, but then... Like, how else are you going to animate thousands of undead on an army field?
2: Back in my I, day, Andy. Back in my day.
1: Uh, yeah, back in your day, they were just like fucking circular blobs. Like <laughs> I, I would prefer, uh, at least they're like nicely defined and then they're animated in a nice way that makes them look like there's a lot going on.
0: Nabro, bro, I, pan over stills. Pan over stills.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but also I like the fact that it highlights... The like how alien these undead are in this world i think it's good i i like the cg because i think that the cg is only used for like these mob characters and i i don't know i i don't mind the cg at all but i've always been that way i've always like not minded cg mm. um but maybe we should move on to something else segway What's that what we're watching? We Call ha- of the Night. Something that doesn't use any CG. One, one lot of Call them. of the Night. <laughs> I say,
2: you could have gone from one undead to another undead, but yet, and yeah, yet that's, you
0: choose. That mm, was re- the
1: easy one. That's the one that everybody wants me to use.
0: Uh, okay. I <laughs> didn't we don't want to do give that. our listeners what they want, that's for sure. <laughs> um, just like Overlord, this is in a bit of an awkward position because it is not finished airing until next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are still big things in the offing because partially because Jeff praised it for having very little vampire bullshit. We now have (laughs) uh, a lot more vampire bullshit, but I like, I don't dislike it.
1: Yeah. I like, I like the vampire bullshit when it came in. Well, I I did see Jeff comment about that. And I was like, what is this man chatting about? (laughs) I like, I mean,
0: I, I don't want to know a bunch of rules to keep track of or or stuff. Mm -hmm. I know that for some people like the vampire lore of garlic and crosses and not inviting them in, is a lot of fun and the mechanics of the v- vampire reproductive cycle um, are, are fun to allude to, but to like really nail down, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I still like it as an examination of just like the weird people you find at night uh, and using vampires as a way to codify what these different kinds of people are and what they want and to add a little bit of threat in there that doesn't exist because we're not conditioned to think of junior high kids in anime as underage and at risk and so making a bunch of you know flesh-eating predators the ones he's hanging out with kind of sharpens that a bit more and especially in the last few episodes has made it clear that he's been playing with fire and that he has no idea i mean he has he's drawn to to nazna who is by the way played by uh chizuru's voice actress andy sora amamiya Damn, that's yep. awesome. And also, and, and she also voices Aqua from Konosuba. So yeah, speaking Whoa. of many talents. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, also speaking of many talents again, uh, the sound director uh, is Eriko Kimura, who also did Tatami Galaxy.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. But yeah, I I do think it's really interesting to, to watch Ko kind of form these relationships and not really know how much they depend... On his current deviant behavior and the mm-hmm. desire to commit more to the lifestyle that the people he values have committed to, versus all the people around him, especially now that we've reached the end of the show, being like, "Hey, you—you'd have no idea what you're doing." Mm-hmm. Even Nasna, even his, even his like cool vampire girlfriend is like, is like, "Hey, you." Uh, you you don't want this actually. That's why I've been reluctant. It's really nice to see that to see that raise its head, um, and now we yep. have another vampire that's come in at the moment of his lowest point to to weigh in, and we'll see how that redounds onto the finale. It doesn't feel like it's going to wrap up in one episode. It feels like it's going to end with another season announcement. But
1: yeah, I'm not I mean the manga's still hope.
0: going. Yeah, it's so, true.
1: I really enjoyed. Uh, a lot of what you said like those last episodes when you get Ankle who is the uh the detective come up and like this weird like vampire gone crazy uh it was it was nice it was really like it was a nice change and it really sort of like swept the, the rug from underneath Cole's like feet and I also felt that it was very appropriate for you know a child being deviant they like, get their heads into stuff that I don't fully understand, be it, you know if this was a if this was like a British show, it'd probably be about drugs or alcohol. <laughs> but instead they're like, no, let's make it vampires and sort of like a forbidden love that no one can understand. I really liked it. Um I also was thinking very strongly about uh creepy nuts involvement. If you forget the show is called Call of the Night, uh Yofukashi no Uta, which is a name of a Creepy Nuts song, which the mangaka asked if he could name his manga after, um, specifically because he really, like, he got inspired by that song, and the Creepy Nuts said, go ahead. Creepy Nuts also make an appearance in the show. They are the two dudes that try to hit on Nazuna in the swimming uh, swimming pool. Um, And I also just, like, at first, we... I complained about like how sometimes there's just like an MV of another creepy nut song over them flying across a city. Yeah. And whilst I I initially didn't like it, I've kind of turned slightly on that because it gives the show identity. It gives it like a style and a theme. And I can't think of many shows in which like because they've said we're only getting, like, one artist to do the music for this show, it 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 sets its theme up and it sets its style and it gives it more of an identity than if it's just, like, anything else. The only exception being, of course, the excellent Fooly Cooly, uh, which, as we all know, is pillows, like, from front to back. Um, so I've actually kind of changed my opinion on the Creepy Nuts, constant Creepy Nuts songs. I don't know what you guys feel about
0: it. I mean, I, I just like that I can pull out my phone and, and see if anyone's messaged me while they're flying around the cityscape to <laughs> yeah, that song. Um, I, lo- I love I mean, the like the purple tinged nightlife, and I mm-hmm. I like the cityscape. But like, you've seen one, you've seen you've seen them all, <laughs> at least yeah. in my opinion. I I love
1: I love the use of colors. I love the use of neons in this show. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really intoxicating in a good way. Like it just it makes it feel like you. I mean, it romanticizes the night, which is the kind of the point. And it, it totally makes you uh, sympathize and get on the same like, level as Cole, being like absorbed and wondered and fascinated by what the night can bring you. Um, and yeah, I, it kind of hooks you in in a really strong way. I really liked it. And when, when the sun, when you do get those occasional sun breaks and they're like a more normal, Visual tone, it somehow looked less romantic. I don't know. That's how I felt when I watched those bits. I don't know how you guys felt.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never really felt strongly one way or the other about the the creepy nuts connection to the show. I had heard the story uh, about how that that song had inspired the whole series. You know, it's about a kid going out way too young to the night and you know hooking up with this like crazy girl who like sort of opened up his whole world, but also sort of like scared him. I just wanted to defend my, myself a little bit as well, because when I was saying that, like I, you know, I don't really, am not interested in like the vampire bullshit. It's because the, the whole thing that I liked about the show is it's sort of look at, you know, the rejection of maturity, the rejection of growing up, the rejection of society in favor of, you know, the freedom of, you know, the freedom of the night, you know, and vampires sort of being the ultimate embodiment of that. And as the, the show progresses, you know, revealing that, you know, that freedom also is quite empty. It's quite lonely. And, you know, I was mostly worried about it being like, Oh, there's going to be like a, a you know, a territory dispute or like, you know, the secret, you know, bad vampire is mm-hmm. going to show up and they're going to have to battle him or something like that. And, you know, thankfully, the the vampire stuff is played very nicely into the themes that I connected to earlier in the show, and so like similarly, you know, to you guys like I've I've liked you know the inclusion of the vampire stuff. I like the fact that you know, Coe's sort of running up against the idea that like maybe he can't just like goof around at night forever. You know, coinciding with sort of seeing the the ugly reality of, you know, do you, you know, if you're a vampire, yes, you're free, but you either have to a consume the life of other people, you know, kill them to keep them quiet or convert them into your lifestyle or slowly go insane from loneliness and thirst. And, you know, and if you're lucky, get killed by a, uh, get killed by a, a kindly detective wearing mangaka gloves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I and it's all come together really nicely and really well. And you know, I'm, like you're saying, like you know, the series is still ongoing, and I'm I and I'm excited to see more of it. So and yeah, and stylistically, it's fabulous. Like I I maybe am not as hot on the like monochromatic palette. I think it sort of weirdly shifts. Like maybe you know someone smarter than me could figure out like when everything is purple versus when everything is yellow. You know are those like meaningful distinctions or is it all just sizzle i i couldn't tell you maybe if i rewatched it with a with a mind for that kind of stuff but for the most part i've you know i enjoy the look of the show i enjoy the weird sort of idiosyncratic style of the way the mangaka does characters like you can definitely see mm-hmm. th- you know the the the, the dagashikashi sort of a yeah. look of all the weird characters how everybody's like slightly cross-eyed but still weirdly cute and yeah that's everyone's got messy hair kind
0: of at least yeah. messier hair mm-hmm. than the average anime person but in a nice way
3: <laughs> yeah
0: we'll have to check back in next episode if something titanic happens in the finale um yeah. or if there's another season announced then maybe we'll check back in then and see I where imagine we go from it, there
1: i imagine it'll be getting in there.
0: I mean, Hopefully. like I said, I I don't, I don't know where they were go- how they're going to wrap it up in one episode, but that has never stopped anime before, so I don't want to stick my foot in my mouth. But that'll do it for us today. Next episode, as you just heard us say, we'll be covering the beginning of the fall 2022 anime season. But in the meantime, rate and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Facebook, search for Keyframes Podcast. Find us on Twitter, at KeyframesPod. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, tell a friend.
1: But not just any friend, Ben. I know you've missed this over the months, but I've not been here. But if I were you, I would uh, tell your friend who has recently enjoyed their rosy university life (laughs) and tell them how wrong they were so that they self-reflect and go back in time and then get stuck in a maze of their own uh, design.
0: (laughs) I just want to tell a friend who does not have seasonal allergies. That's my goal. (laughs) (laughs) Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.